You're listening to Public Safety First, a podcast to help you learn about the First Responder Network Authority and how you can be part of the future of public safety technology. I'm Jackie Waring with the First Responder Network Authority, and I'm here today with Walt Magnuson of Texas A&M's Internet 2 Technology Evaluation Center. And we're going to talk a little bit about Winter Institute and some history with Walt and a lot of the things that he's done over the last, well, few years, we'll say. Can you just tell us a little more about your background and what your current role is? Thanks, Jackie. It's an honor, honor being here today. I've been with Texas A&M University for 35 years now, and since 2004, I've been directing a center referred to as the Internet 2 Technology Evaluation Center. We're a center that was originally created to work mainly in real-time communication space, but shortly after we got started, got involved with the FCC and with NINA, the National Emergency Number Association, and started working in public safety communications. It's where we got started with this stuff and been there ever since. How have you seen the landscape of communications change during your career, 35 years, that's that's quite a, a span of time for us to be thinking about, but how has communications changed over the years, and then specifically within the last five years? The technology is changing an awful lot in the areas of standardization of products, so whereas we were operating on standalone systems that did not interoperate in the past, now things have gone to, for example, in the voice-based uh, SIP-based communications, in the wireless, it's all been transitioning into the LTE space. And so what we're really seeing is fantastic opportunities in interoperability. The devices have become more and more powerful. The applications are, are, are more enabled, and a lot of them are using services that can be shared. So it's very, very easy to develop new apps, whereas in the past, you pretty much would have to develop the entire protocol stack. Now you can count on and utilize modules from other systems and bring them together and come up with a really awesome package in a relatively short period of time. So it's standardization of the product and standardization of the services that's, that's got us to unlimited capabilities. So we'll talk a little more about FirstNet in particular, and I know that you have a deep history with FirstNet. So if you could talk a little bit about your involvement with public safety broadband and your work in getting to where we are today with a nationwide public safety broadband solution. So around 2010, Harris County, which is Houston area, Harris County received funding from FEMA to build the first public safety broadband network in the country. It was funded by FEMA after a hurricane. It was kind of the start of things. That's when the FCC was really looking at trying to figure out where to go. And of course, in 2012, Congress passed the First Responders Network Authority, or FirstNet, legislation. And at that time, the idea and the goal was, which they are doing, is to go ahead and create a single network in the country that has the ability to support and service first responders that has different capabilities than, than the commercial network. So with the Harris County Project, they located their core here in Bryan College Station at Texas A&M University. We used the Internet 2 backbone to get from College Station down to Houston. So we were very, very much involved in the initial design. Right across the street from us is our Rudder Theater Complex. It's a 12-story building and probably the tallest area in Brazos County. So we had three of the initial nodes in there. After the inception of FirstNet, uh, with the awarding of the contract to AT&T, there were a few of what they referred to as the early adopters that were out there. One of the early adopters was Harris County as a FirstNet early adopter. And in there we were given some key learning conditions, what happens if I go into high power mode, extended mode. So 
our key learning conditions, we all had responsibilities to feed information back into FirstNet. So we were part of the early development process. More recently, we've been working on the application and services space. The network's really pretty well defined, pretty well running, and there's not as much work that we can really do in the network space, but there is a lot of work that we can do in the application and services space. So that's really where we've been focusing our, our efforts for probably the last four or five years. So that leads into what we're here for today, right? We were, we're all here for Winter Institute. If you could describe Winter Institute and how it's evolved over the last few years and the focus of that now. So the Winter Institute started about five, six, seven years ago. We've done five of them so far. And the early concept of it was um, we were working with one of our professors here, Dr. Robin Murphy, and she had a summer institute. And the focus of the summer institute was on drones, on, on UAS devices. And so she did the UAS focus, and then we brought in network to support. Well, we came up with the idea then, well, why don't we maybe do a network-centric exercise? And let's go ahead, and then, so that became the Winter Institute. Each year, we utilize a scenario that we work with public safety first responders to actually bring out devices, bring out services, and test them, get feedback from the first responders. So the vendor community that supports us can look at it and say, yeah, this needs to be modified. The first responders can say, that's the stupidest idea I've ever seen, um, but if you would change it, it would be able to do this for us. One vendor, I won't bring up their name, but one vendor about three years ago completely redefined or completely rewrote their user interface after one of the Winter Institutes because it was looking at some radiological detection equipment and Texas Task Force One looked at it and said, that's not really the way we look at things. So they sat down together and talked and they're going, oh, you know, that makes sense. So those are the kind of things we try to bring together. We utilize a place called Disaster City. It's several hundred acres of training facilities that they trained about last year was 195,000 first responders. And we have buildings that they burned, collapsed bridges, derailed trains, underground tunnels, buildings that they climb, and abandoned warehouses and stuff like that that are all part of the training facility. So we bring in the first responders, and they become part of the props. But then we also bring in the network. And then the network becomes the services on top of that. And the first responders get together, write the exercise, write the scenario, and then out of that then we develop the after, after action reports. So a lot of the information that we're getting out of Winter Institute feeds back into the vendor community, feeds back into emerging technologies and those types of things. So from your perspective, where do you see communications going in the next decade? We've done a lot of standardization, but we still have a whole lot more to go. When you look at things like the implementation of NG911, we're still probably only, my guess is somewhere around 5-10% of that is done nationwide. Things like ICAM, the authorization identification process, everybody's doing that themselves right now. And in a world where you've got FirstNet and you've got first responders coming in and you want to be able to share information, we need to be able to figure out how to share that information and allow incoming users to be able to utilize our services. The Bastrop fires here a number of years ago, uh, it's one of the biggest fires in the state of Texas. We have first responders from all 50 states here working with us. So you can imagine first responders coming in from 50 states and we need to somehow share maps of what's going on. If you can imagine fires coming through rapidly and we're evacuating people, it's hard to really figure out which buildings have been inspected when you've got all these people from all these different agencies uh, and no common communications platform. So the standardization, we're, we're basically still at the infancy in that space. But the first thing we've got to really do is figure out what's the low-hanging fruit 
what do we prioritize first? What are the areas that are going to give us the most benefit? Because overall, this is going to take 10, 15, 20 years to get it all done. And we can't really wait till it's all completed. We need to take small steps, but then benefit from those small steps as we, as we do them. We talked a little bit today about a briefing that you did regarding 5G. Could you talk a little bit more about that and what your interest is and your passion for 5G and where it's going and where we're going with that technology? So we received $8 million funding from the state of Texas to build a 5G, what we refer to as the Innovation Proving Ground. The Innovation Proving Ground was funded to support Department of Defense, Public Safety, Transportation, and things like that. So we all hear an awful lot about 5G, about the deployments being nationwide, this, that, and the other. The reality is that's great, and we know there's going to be a lot of capabilities added to the system, to, to the networks as they come about, but it's not as effective, it's not as efficient if we wait until the network's here and then figure out how to use it. So the part of the process, of, part of the concept of the Innovation Proving Ground is to put a private 5G network together that we can manage, we can manipulate, we can go ahead and, and understand what's going on underneath the sheets so that when it is ubiquitous across the United States, we already know what we're doing with it. We're not trying to figure it out then. My guess is we'll probably be able to save two, three years off of the process by, by doing that. There's a number of areas such as 4K video and things like that that you really can't support on 4G networks today. So if we have the ability to do that, you know, the questions we have, have to ask are, do we really need that? If we do need it, what are we gonna use it for? If we do use it, how are we gonna get and store the information? Those are things we can be looking at now and not waiting till it's available in a store near you. We have high respect, high regard, a high level of involvement with the public safety community. And quite frankly, they're great folks. I mean, anything that we can do to help support them makes all of us safer. The services that we're doing are leading edge, but we need to figure out how to get these services in the hands of the first responders sooner rather than later. Great. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening today. We're excited to have you join our podcast community. Make sure to subscribe on iTunes, SoundCloud, and YouTube. You can learn more about the First Responder Network Authority at firstnet.gov and learn about FirstNet products and services at firstnet.com.